Greetings, everyone. Santi Smith. Dagalunyakwa nyungnyats gaingihaga ibagahonsoda and waganyata oswege nidwageno. My name is Santi Smith, and my Haudenosaunee name is Dagalunyakwa, which means speaking up the sky in gaingeha, which is the Mohawk language. I'm from the Gaingahaga Nation Turtle Clan, and I'm from Oswege, which is also known as Six Nations of the Grand River Territory, which is located on the Canadian side of Turtle Island. And I am a multidisciplinary artist. I'm a mother as well, but my daughter's older. And I'm the artistic director of did I say that? Gahawi Dance Theater? <laughs> I might have said that already. That's my company. And Gahawi means um, to carry in Gaingeha. And that's what the story, that's what we do is we carry forward stories, whether they're traditional, even futuristic stories, and um, embodied storytelling movement, very abstracted and some is very literal for all different ages of audiences. And um, so that's my full-time job. I'm an artist, and I come from a long line of artists as well. In my three, four generations back, we're all artists. So I'm following in my ancestors' footpaths and um, really grateful for their passing on of their knowledge and helping to sustain us in our community. And, um, and yes, I'm happy to be here. I'm currently here right in Six Nations. I live in my home community with my family and I've been home quite a bit because all of our touring has stopped since COVID and we're just excitedly going to be going back on tour in the new year. So it's, it's quite um, exciting and busy times to be, to be back working again. So my family are pottery makers. So we work ceramics as well. So my grandmother, Elda Bun Smith, uh, she revived the lost art of pottery making in our community. She was recognized as a great artist for doing that and then passed that on to my father. My father and mother passed it on to me and then I passed it on to my daughter as well. I'm grateful to be here and sharing with you all and sharing about dance. I was probably two, three years old and I think that my love of dance came in with my love of music. So as soon as I heard music, I would fall into a dream world of movement and be lost really in a improvisation at the age of three. Quite um, unusual for a, a young kid to be just completely immersed in passionate about dance but because my family were artists they recognized that creativity and that outlet that I was just naturally falling into and they supported that so I didn't start classical training after I broke both my legs so I had learned to walk three times by the time I was three I had two separate accidents I uh, was run over by a car and then I was in a body cast for a month. I broke my ankle and then was in the cast again. So the doctors said to my parents, put her in something that strengthens her legs. And then they automatically physical ballet because it's really about alignment and posture and strong legs. And 
of course, being a young girl, hearing music, moving, I fell in love with my classes and continued on with the Royal Academy of Dance Ballet. And I trained at Canada's National Ballet School for six years in Toronto. So I left home at the age of 11 to <laughs> train intensely six days a week. Yeah, so that's my early beginning of dance. And then, of course, my my pathway uh, shifted from that classical colonial Euro-Western form into the work that I'm doing now, which is much more an Indigenous process. Dancers tend to be accident-prone. We fall over in, uh, invisible things. And rarely do I get injured dancing. <laughs> it's like falling into a hole, <laughs> twisting my ankle. It's like it's ridiculous things like that. For Haudenosaunee, um, from my understandings, um, our dance is quite a bit different. Um, we don't have schoolings for it you learn by participating in ceremony so our songs and dances are ceremonial connected and that is sacred ceremonies but also social gatherings where people would share specific dances so our dance served the, the purpose of community unity and the dances are very simplistic the most important thing is that you find your rhythm with the group and your stomp and your footpath foot stomps and that is connected to yourself your internal rhythm your heartbeat rhythm and then and, and as you're going around together we are then aiming for unity and that was a fundamental understanding for Haudenosaunee people or Ongwehone people of unity, the strength of unity called Gantsansansra. Um, and so we also didn't have elite performers. And there's a saying that in our community, everybody sings, everybody dances. So that's little children, that's elders. Um, there's also no formal training. So as long as you're keeping the beat and you're in the realm of the aesthetic, you're good. <laughs> you're enjoying the, you're participating, you're enjoying the, the um, being together um, and the energy of the group. Uh, if your step is different than the other person's step, nobody kind of bats an eye. It's just like, it's the energy that you're, you're in together. And it's also for the purposes of whatever the ceremony cycle is whether it's strawberries to recognize the strawberries, the first fruits that come around, or it's the corn ceremony, or it's a harvest ceremony, or it's stirring the ashes, um, uh, song and dance are a part of all of our ceremony. And it's almost inseparable. So we're a singing, dancing culture, just like many other indigenous cultures. It's like um, uh, a lot of my colleagues who come from very strong singing, dancing cultures like my Maori collaborators and um, where everybody can sing beautifully. <laughs> and um, so the music is um, generally vocables. So the, the songs don't have words. They're just sounds, like vocable sounds and um, beautiful and um, 
various sound sets that you can sing in different ceremonies and different um, dances. But it was also um, a way that it would break down a language barrier because you could go into somebody else's community and hear and see the songs of the dances. You could do them. You didn't have to have a, a you know, um, feeling like you were left out. So once again, that's to promote um, unity, the strength of the community in harmony and in balance. And also the ultimate purpose was to put yourself in balance and to put your community in balance. Um, and because all of our songs and dances uh, replicate the natural patterning of the living creative universe. And so physically you're moving nature. And a lot of traditional ceremonies are circular. So you're replicating the, the pathway of the cosmos, which could be reflected into, you know, the inner workings of your own body. And you're replicating things like our creation story, elements of the creation story. For example, the women's dances are very much replicating the journey of Sky Woman who created Turtle Island where we live. So lots of beautiful cultural teachings in the, in the songs and the dances, but no formal schooling. So it's, it's, it's just people learn by, by going to ceremony and that's, that's um, how it's always been. My um, uh, work is really um, as an artist, uh, contemporary um, creating dance. So um, I, that's what I, I focus on is how I can align myself with creative force, which we would say, which means the creative energy that exists everywhere, the isness of everything. And, um, and I feel like it's a, a, an extension of, traditional dance and that's what traditional dance does as well is to align with the isness and harmonize the body mind because this body mind connection is really important um, and it's what all of our ceremonies are about is how to connect the mind and the heart when our minds and hearts are connected or we mind and body and spirit and in unity and we're healthy and we have wellness and we're strong um, people. Um, so there are different dances within the Haudenosaunee. There's social dances, which are just dances of celebration. It means everybody's just getting together and we usually for every social, there's an order of the dances that we do and it's the usually first one is the natural which is also a very simple trotting style dance and one leaf foot and one gather. And that's all you're doing is doing this. Um, and then everybody has to sink into that. And, um, and it is social because you're going around with a group of people. It could be 10 people. It could be 300 people all in that going around in, in circularity replicating the natural pathway of a spear within a spear within a spear.
and um, there's other dances that are for ceremony, so they would be maybe more specific to what the ceremony is. And there's also medicine society ceremonies, which are songs and dances for healing. And you have to be uh, a part of that society. They're, they're secretive, this other private. Um, and um, there's ways within the community that you would become um, a part of the society. And so those dances function as removing, um, purifying um, the mind and heart connection, purifying the body, uh, protection, um, things like that. And um, then of course there's funeral songs and dances that you would sing at um, funerals or if somebody was um, sick or you would have a family feast so people would gather and there would be um, prayers for that person. And then a lot of times there would be dancing as well. Because it's really about, for me, when I think about dance as healing, it's um, in any form, healing one person, it's everybody's energy within that circle that is focused on that one person. And to have that uh, heightened feeling of everybody there for, for acknowledging you and acknowledging um, uh, your whole being and, and addressing you in a very sacred manner, I think that is healing in its, of itself, of psychologically and um, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so, yeah. There are, and um, so, so there's lots of different functions, but I, I'd say that the, the form, the, the aesthetic, the style of movement between all of those within our Iroquois Confederacy, Ongwehoan Confederacy, is very similar. So there's not like one crazy dance that like really, you know, has a certain rhythm and arms going everywhere uh, and one that is very slow. They're all kind of in the same aesthetic. And really that is to get a heartbeat rhythm, to synchronize your heart with the earth and synchronize with everybody in the space. So it's very simple, but it's very, uh, there's a reason why our ancestors did that, is to harmonize and to, and to feel connected and to feel connection. traveling and seeing the world and collaborating with other indigenous artists and and um making family across the the world and uh and also being able to take my daughter so that was one of the things when she was little um there was out, out of all of my touring that i done there was only a couple of times where I didn't take her and I regretted the fact that I didn't have her with me so that was a blessing that I was able to do my work. And when she was little, I brought my, my mom, what we call, we call the grand, a grandmother, a Dada. So Dada was with us 
um, until Samaya could be on her own. And then, um, and the Dada had to stay home because I, <laughs> because I couldn't bring her. She was disappointed about that. But um, so that, that was like, it opened up an opportunity for, for the two of us to have this incredible memory experiences through dance and her having that time to, you know, meet other artists and other um, Indigenous academics and researchers and activists that um, was, is really inspiring and being a part of interesting conversations around the world. But I have to say, the other thing that is um, more close to home is, which I didn't realize what was going to happen for, for through my work, is that I was able to connect to my ancestor stories um, in some missing family history. So recently, um, I produced a piece called The Mush Hole, which is about, about Canada's first um, Indian residential school called the Mohawk Institute Residential School, which is in my home community of Six Nations, which is very um, uh, traumatic and has all of the, the dark um, truth of that. And my family members attended, but we had little knowledge of their story and they've all passed. So there was no sharing of their experiences. So through my research and also my research with living survivors, I was able to sort of cobble together what their experiences might have been and then how that intergenerationally has come through a lot of our families and it affects us in ways that we might not be conscious of. And so, so that sense of being a little bit more conscious about um, some of that passed on history, but also like we said, the trauma, but also the, the strength and the resilience that they had to have to to continue. And so that's that was a really like a meaningful experience for me to be able to work through some of those stories that are very personal, but also to be able to work directly with survivors and to be able to share this story now that we're touring around Canada um, and to educate in a way um, where we are viscerally affecting audiences and having their hearts and minds expanded through the sharing of our story. For my work, um, I, as I said, contemporary performances and every production is a different story. So the vision of that work will have a certain aesthetic and it'll have its own idea of costumes. And um, the one that we just uh, premiered uh, site-specific in October, uh, is was set in 2050 post-apocalyptic environmental collapse. And, and um, so we are opening outfits for hazmat suits and gas masks. So, <laughs> so um, that is telling the story. Everything that we do, visuals, the music, the, uh, we do a lot. Oh, recently I've been working a lot with multimedia. Um, it's all geared to shaping the story and layering the story with lots of meaning and and um, for people to have different entry points into seeing the work and understanding. So it, it varies. Um, I, I, I enjoy that aspect of being creative and, and 
deciding and, and um, working with collaborators on what it is that we are going to see visually and what um, things represent. And a lot of the times in the work, we'll have something that is we use in um, more uh, traditional sense. For example, in the same work that we premiered, we, we use a horn rattle. I don't have one horn rattle. Um, and not in the way, we use it for like percussion and music, but we also use it in a different way of activating space. So shaking shaking it around. Um, so when I, I played an anti-character, when they arrived at their safe spot, she activates and gives thanks and acknowledges everything around by shaking the rattle on activating the, the land. So things come into that are source inspired by traditional um, um, practices that are not so ceremonial that you can't, you know, there's certain things that you just don't, you leave for ceremony and you leave sacred, but the things that you can use, um, sometimes we use them in it if it's very, if it's important for that work. So this one was very much a Haudenosaunee uh, piece. So we, we use that horn rattle and we use a little turtle shell rattle. In terms of our uh, traditional dances, we have very, we don't have a wide range of instrumentation. There's a horn rattle, flutes, two types of drums, turtle rattles, uh, percussion just with the body and vocals. And so that's, the, you know, there's, it's not elaborate. And you can track, which I have done, if you look at old photos of what we wore pre colonial and then you, you see the colonial influence every year change and you can track it through our what we wear it's like oh that, that they start wearing a glengarry hat and but they covered it with beads <laughs> so uh it's interesting you can you can track history like that um based on what people were wearing and so now our our traditional clothes are have very big colonial influence, but still has sort of become our own. Um, and yeah, so it's inter that's interesting for me, and I, I do a lot of research on that as well. And about the food is uh, corn, corn, and corn. This <laughs> 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 corn soup, corn bread, <laughs> corn mush. Um, those are all, those are pretty much the staple for Hawaii um, people. Corn, beans, and squash are sustenance foods. And um, I planted corn, beans, and squash this year in our traditional mound um, process. And all, even the planting that we do is, has really um, beautiful teachings about how we um, sustain life and how life sustains life and how you can support that um, through cultivation. And so corn beans and squash are uh, planted together. And, um, and so they support each other in a stacking kind of ecosystem. And our ancestors knew that they knew about genetics and they knew about how ecosystems work and how to sustain life. 
So I find that really interesting. Um, the How it comes into my work is not necessarily through eating, but through the knowledge that is carried with that about how to multi, how to layer things, how to stack things so that they support each other. And, um, and also we performed in the corn beef squash garden. So we were performing, everything becomes a stage. Uh, all my gardens were activated um, the whole summer. And uh, the connection to women in that process, very, very um, indigenous women um, as life sustainers, as we are referred to, because everything that we do sustains life. We were the sustenance people for taking care of seeding seeds in our gardens. And, and so I feel like that is um, really uh, precious to me right now to be able to actually have um, seeds and collect seeds for my sunflowers. And, and Pre-pandemic, I was touring, so I was busy performing. And then we got shut down. We were just about to uh, perform in, in Washington, D.C. And the day before we were to fly out, we cut the show. But I was feeling very unmotivated. And, and it was a, a long adjustment for me to come back into my body and come back into uh, creativity. And, and I was also feeling like I needed to rest, saying that it was time to just slow down <laughs> and be a part of this transformation and whatever that meant. And then slowly uh, I began creating work, um, which mostly had to be digital. So we performed a lot of digital works and shared that. And it was also just to get the message out and the stories that we were telling through our dance out um, to schools and different communities and just continuing that creativity and that indigenous voice and leadership that we do through the arts. So now I'm back into the swing of things and, and uh, quite happy to be moving again. My favorite dance is uh, very similar to what Anna was saying, um, dancing it in the land. So I've been doing that since, like, as a process, um, which leads to a creative process. It can be a performance, or it can just be me dancing it outside <laughs> in the land. Our creative process now is a, is that is a part of it that we work in land. Um, I've been working a lot in our traditional ancestral lands in Upper State New York. So the history of our community is that we are in Six Nations now through treaty process because we sided with the British, with the Crown, and we moved from our traditional homelands, which are mostly based in Upper State New York, to where we are now. Um, so we've been displaced in a way from our traditional lands. So my big fun, uh, magical, <laughs> inspiring time is to go back to our traditional homelands and be in the land and dance in the land and create things there. And I've been bringing my team there when I can. And um, this summer, uh, I've also become a big gardener. I plant a lot. 
And this summer I created a 360 sunflower stage. I planted over 365 sunflowers in a circle and then we performed in the center of the stage. It uh, has a series called Dancing the Lands and we, we put in for that. And, um, and just sort of being able to connect in a way that um, my ancestors did because we danced the lands. We actually didn't dance in longhouses, which we do now. <laughs> we danced outside. We danced with our foot, with our feet touching the earth. And that's, that's, that's my favorite thing to do and my favorite where, place to be. And I love performing on a beach. I would love to come to Hawaii and perform there on a beach. <laughs> and I do that around the world. So when I'm when I'm going, I when when I'm working with um, my Maori collaborators, we're working outside. We're working in the waters. We're working in the um, by the ocean. And you know, a lot of the times when we actually do our show, it has to come into a theater. But we've done all of that background work where we centered ourselves in the land and we centered ourselves and we can bring that um, experience and those memories and that connection with us and then we try to replicate that feeling in ourselves on the stage and then that hopefully emanates out to audiences and they can get a sense of that so that's my favorite <laughs> Okay, I it's hard to choose because every every dance that I do is quite different and, and has different story. So the stories are really important. Um, and uh, so I enjoy all of them. But I was I was going to um, mention I'm already planning what I'm going to do this summer coming up. Um, and this summer I had, uh, I hosted a sunflower workshop weekend where I invited um, multidisciplinary, I mean, multi, not just, we're all dancers, but different forms of dance, not, um, and um, from uh, Toronto, most of the companies that are, um, I would say they're not mainstream companies. They're like uh, Nova Bhattacharya. She has a Bharatanatyam company and is a colleague of mine. And, and um, Andrea Nan has a contemporary um, Asian company and a few others, um, South American artists and all women. And we, I hosted them in my, in my family home and we ate together and we picked food from the garden together. We danced together. We um, shared our working process, like how we work with our bodies and, um, and where we were as artists, where we were as leaders of companies. And uh, it was quite, um, it was very, uh, um, inspiring but rejuvenating and uh so in that way food and cultivating of gardens and lands and that role of and sustaining life becomes activated in a very practical way and then i always infuse my artistic practice into that 
And um, so I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring that more. And um, yeah, so this I am a lifelong learner, so I'm always learning about um, our traditional understandings and and then how to make them relevant today in the world, in our world, and how how we can how we can bring that knowledge in and um, action it. So sometimes we have um, knowledge that just sticks in our head. And we can't action it, we, or we don't know how to action it. Or we don't know how to put it out into the world. Um, we can only think about it, and that's why that mind-heart connection, is mind-body connection, is really important. I talked about earlier is that the actioning is really important to do. And as an embodied storyteller or a person who is very much about movement and action. Um, that's always my focus. So whenever I get a chance to do that and learn from others who are doing it maybe in a different way um, or traditional teachers are, you know, helping to add understanding, um, I, I really enjoy that aspect of my work as well. Not really work, it's just learning. <laughs> Do you have specific um, movements in your dance that represent um, natural aspects of the of Mother Earth that um, that you use a lot in your different dances? Mm-hmm. There's some repetitions throughout the, the, the pieces. A lot of it has to do with our footwork connection to the ground. The, the lower the lower half of the body is very rooted into the ground. Probably very similar. I, I'm just assuming it's very similar to hula. It's like the because I see, I watch videos um, and I and I see very connect, very much connection to earth, um, strong legs and powerful bodies, um, connection down and um, energize energy going in, energy coming up from earth, and then a free and um, expansive upper body to the sky, and and so that's a little bit um, what I I do as well because I feel in my perspective I feel like I'm activating my earth realm and my sky realm origins as a as a creation story. So the sky element is really important, and having a supple open spine and fontanelle connection to sky world and um and then powerful legs that can dig into the ground and uh stabilize and the other element which is not necessarily in Anguihoi but it is in others that I like working with is is underworld, under realm, like under earth, which is the unseen, which is not necessarily, ooh, bad. It's powerful as well, because you think of tectonic plates moving, you think of underwater creatures and underwater rivers and the, the darkness of it is um, the unknown, which is where you, want to be as a creator as a uh, going into a creative process you're working in the unknown 
And so to be into that darkness is where potentiality is. And then it, you, you, there's also those things about think you see representation of the tree and you see the roots and you see, I mean, the branches and you see upward, but then you see the roots going down, but you, they're really down underneath um, in the, the horizon. Everything that's under is, un, is unseen, um, but it's really important to, um, to think about and activate and think about those roots. And I use it in um, my solo piece called Neo-Indigena. Neo I have a very specific underworld uh, section uh, where I'm moving with tectonic plates and trying to access underwater creatures. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, uh, the other thing that I do is I, I put on, um, uh, it's about, uh, it's also about transformation. So, um, in certain ceremonies that people have or rituals people have around the world, um, it's to be in a transformational state. And a lot of the times that is um, blinding yourself or putting on a mask or you're putting on, so that you're not just focused on your visual, your sight, that you're going internally and you're going into that um, potentiality of the unknown. And it could be scary, but it could also be um, open to um, accessing your creativity. I don't know. That went way off onto another topic there, but <laughs> somewhere. No, that's great. Question, hopefully. <laughs> There's times in performance that you're trying to get to a transformational place. Sometimes you're more successful at it than others, but you fall into it a bit more. A lot of the times you don't realize how it's impacting the viewer, how it's impacting the audience. So, cause you're so immersed into the work and to the story that you don't have a filter of somebody coming to see this offering for the first time and what are they thinking <laughs> what are they what are they experiencing recently that has been um a question that i've had about how are people receiving this, the offerings that we're giving one example is um where where i feel like the work is important is when we were performing the mush hole. It, we were at a theater, which was for young audiences. So they were bringing in schools. We always end with a big question and answer period because we want to debrief about everything that they saw and answer questions. And that's a really huge part of why we do what we do is to be able to engage with people after. There was a public showing and we were having our debrief after the show and and there was a survivor in the audience and he got up and told his story and everybody was sitting there. So that was really impactful for him to see that story being shared and people to hear truth. He wanted to share more and he shared more after. 
but it was very heightened emotionally and um and that's part of that healing process that we're kind of all going through um and hopefully that was the survivors that I work with are sharing their story is a healing process so and that way it's very humbling and it's a feeling of like you're on the right track <laughs> you're, you're doing something important that needs to be done we pretty much try to protect our space uh, a lot so that's we do our own protocols for before performances so that we acknowledge the space and you know we ancestors and so we try to make sure that we are doing everything in the right way so that we are protected my company and myself are going through a process of um research and community uh meetings about how to work um completely through ongwehlineha uh, which means um everything from our administration to our contracts and how we uh, through a, an indigenous perspective and um Dr. Rodney was part of that um we had it had our one of our meetings uh, last weekend a weekend meeting and um so it's really great to be able to <clears throat> connect with different people and not only in the arts and you know uh, health and indigenous health and um and so we can learn so much from e- from each other uh so this interconnectivity and and um is really something that I look I look forward to doing more and also indigenous food sovereignty and all those sort of intersections where you can you can gain knowledge and action ideas and knowledge is really is really great i'm inspired by that and and um i'm happy to connect with people who are working in that same process some some might say decolonizing or but for me it's just you know gathering the the old knowledge that is so foundational to how to be a human being and how to live in the world that it's it's um it's a lifelong journey and i'm happy to be able to share that with other people and learn from other people so now i thank you for this time and um and yeah. I'm happy to be a part of our conversations today you too, oh, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh,